Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a joy to be with you and to worship the Lord together with you. Uh, as I was praying for this service, uh, the passage the Lord laid on my heart is a passage that ministered to me a few months ago. Uh, you know, you have messages that you know, the Lord gives you and particularly it sometimes ministers to you first and then you take it and share it with others. And so here's a message that has ministered to me personally and I have begun to pray that God will help me to live this out and uh, I hope and pray it will challenge you as we look into God's word. I want to thank your pastor uh, for the warm welcome. Uh, it's a joy to be with your church every time I come here. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at a man who is described as a man who walked with God. I've entitled my message as the man who walked with God. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. Let me read it for you. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Shall we pray? Father, your word is powerful. It has the ability to change our hearts and our lives. This morning, through the power of your spirit, please quicken your word. Minister to us. Help us to go out with a greater realization of who you are and what you have called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. How many of you have struggled with reading passages that are the passages of the genealogy? You know, so-and-so uh, had this son and then this son had three sons. And Have you read those in the Bible? And have you ever wondered why in the world is this all recorded? Uh, have you, you know, sometimes we do this thing called as the Christian Passover. We pass over it. Are you with me? The Jewish people have the Passover, but we read chapters like that and then we start wondering where uh, is this headed? We have no clue unless you are keenly studying to find out how many generations from this one to that one. So, you know, reading Genesis 5, it is very easy for us to miss this verse that is so carefully tucked in in the genealogy from Adam to Noah. So if you read Genesis 5, it's a chapter on genealogy. And the general tendency we have when we come across these chapters is, you know, just uh, a cursory glance and we want to move on. But tucked in, in this genealogy, you read about a man called Enoch. And this morning, I want to uh, speak on the life of Enoch. How Enoch walked with God and what can we learn from his life? What can we observe from his life? Let me begin by looking at that phrase. He was 65 years old when he had a son whom he named Methuselah. Now, if you study biblical times, the names of children 
were given with much thought. For example, when Hannah had a child after many years of prayer, she named him Samuel, which meant asked of the Lord. So the names that were given in the Old Testament or in biblical times were generally after much thought and much prayer. It was not just given casually. Some, some of the names that we hear today, if you ask them, what does your name mean? They have no clue. And they have to live with a name that they don't like. They are stuck with it. Now, the funny part about naming uh, someone is, you know, you don't get to choose your name unless you choose to change it. But the names that were given in scripture, they were given after a lot of thought and a lot of prayer sometimes. This name, Methuselah, was an unusual name. Because in the Hebrew language, the word Methuselah means in the year he is gone, it will come. That's a very strange name. In the year that he is gone, it will come. Now if you study scripture, we know that Methuselah lived the longest in the Bible, correct? 969 years, this man had a very long life. His father only lived for 365 years. God took him away. But Methuselah lived for 969 years. And the meaning of the word is very unique. When he is gone, it will come. Now if you study the genealogy and calculate the timeline of Genesis, you will be surprised to note that the year Methuselah died, that is the year the flood happened. In other words, the point I'm trying to make is Enoch had insight into the future. Enoch had a glimpse of what was going to happen in the future. No wonder he named his son Methuselah. There was something different about this man. Enoch is considered as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are similarities and I will talk about that. But looking at his life, this man had such a close walk with God that God gave him insight into what would unfold years later. Many, many years later, an event that would happen, God had already given Enoch insight. This morning, I want to draw three simple truths from the life of Enoch. And the way I'm going to do it uh, is to lead you through three separate passages in Scripture. Uh, so we're going to look at three passages, one the passage we just read, the other from the book of Hebrews and the third one from the book of Jude. And so we will look at three separate passages, look at the life of Enoch and then see what can we learn from him and then draw applications for our own life. Number one, the Bible says that Enoch was a man who was familiar with God. Now I don't want to uh, you know, use the word familiar in terms of a casual acquaintance or you know, you've heard that expression familiarity breeds contempt. I'm not talking of familiarity in that sense of the word. I'm talking of familiarity in terms of Enoch knew God. Enoch had a close, consistent, complete walk with God. He knew God very, very closely. We are living in the world of information. Is that right? Yes? 
Today, we have information on our fingertips. Uh, we just need to have a smartphone with, thankfully, Geo that has come on the scene and, or whatever internet provider you use. You can find out anything about anyone, just like that. You Google a name, you can get a fact check, look into Facebook, follow them on Twitter. There are many ways you can get to know about someone. True or false? Yes. There are ways in which we gather our information. It was difficult previously, today research has become easier because not everything that is on the net is accurate, but nonetheless, it will give you a start. It will give you something to work with. And it is possible to know about someone very, very easily. But I want to demarcate the goal in our life is not to know about God. The goal in our life it should be this, I want to know God. Amen? Amen? We are not trying to know about God. And one of the things when I teach a theology class is to tell students, listen, you can study theology as a subject, but the greater you study theology, the more you study theology, at some point, theology must lead to doxology, where you fall prostrate before God and say, this God is worthy of worship. If this is who God is, then I must give him my very best. A knowledge of God will lead you to live life differently. Amen? When you know God. Now, in the Bible, uh, two people who wrote important parts of the scripture, Moses and Paul, and I'm going to draw two prayers that they prayed. Moses prayed a prayer. Years later, the Apostle Paul prayed a prayer. In Exodus 33, we have this beautiful picture of Moses talking to God on the mountain. And in that conversation, Moses tells the Lord, teach me your ways. If I have found favor with you, teach me your ways. Then he makes another prayer. Show me your face. I want you to think about that for a moment. Two sentences that he prayed. Teach me your ways. Show me your face. Of course, God answered him and said, You know what, Moses? No man can see my face and live. Human beings cannot see me. I will cause my glory to pass before you. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will, I, will, I will mask the glory. You are not going to be able to see me. Nonetheless, the desire that Moses had, show me your face. Teach me your ways. Here's a prayer that we must be praying in our day-to-day -day walk. God, I want to know you intimately, personally. I'm not content with my knowledge about you. I want to know you experientially. You know, the most powerful people who can speak with authority are people who know God experientially. Amen? You know, there is something about knowing someone through experience because that is embedded inside you. You cannot forget what you have experienced when you have been with them. Amen? The Bible says that knowledge of God is experiential familiarity. I want you to write that phrase down. When we say, I want to know God, what we are saying is, I want to have experiential familiarity. I want to know God 
personally. I want to experience Him in my life. The Bible writers were able to write with such force and such power because they knew God so closely. In, in the book of John, 1st John, in chapter 1, uh, while writing, the Apostle John writes and says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled, that is what we are telling you. In other words, they had first-hand knowledge of God. Amen? In a generation that does not know right hand from left hand, that does not know what is right and what is wrong, that is thoroughly confused, we need men and women who can say, I know God. I've experienced Him. I walk with Him. I have a relationship with Him. I will pray for you. A generation where people are so clueless about what to do next. There should be people amongst us who can say, yes, I have experienced God. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Show me your face. Teach me your ways. Let me draw your attention to the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 3 and verse 10, he prays that prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to fellowship in his suffering. I want to be conformed to his image. I want to know Christ. What a beautiful prayer to pray. I want to know you experientially. I want to know you like never before. You know, one of the things when you know God that closely is you don't easily given to the lies of the enemy. Do you know when situations become difficult, we have a real enemy that will start projecting negative thoughts in our mind. Has that happened to you? If God loves you, then why this? If He cares for you, why are you going through this? And many times, without realizing, we buy into the lies of the enemy. We start believing the lies that the enemy is projecting towards us. That's because we don't have experiential familiarity. Because if you have experiential familiarity in the midst of crisis, you will be able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. You will be able to say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. How are you able to say that? Why are you able to sing in the midst of a crisis? Because you know the one who you believe. Apostle Paul would say, I know him whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. Walking with God is learning to be familiar with him. Do you know when you walk with someone, you build strong relationships with them? Yes? No? You walk with people you love. Have you ever gone on a long walk? Yes? With somebody? Yes? No? Looks like nobody likes walking here. It's, it's good for health. It'll keep you healthy. You're, you know, you, you will be doing much better health-wise. Go for a long walk. It will, it will help you tremendously. But when you go for a long walk with someone you love, you end up sharing things that matter to you. True or false? Yes? And when you're with friends, sometimes you tell friends things or your spouse, you tell them stuff that you never plan to tell anybody. 
Yes or no? You start sharing what's happening on the inside. It's not a formal conversation. It's not something you structure. It's not something that you do with you know, a lot of you know, planning and careful thought. You just uh, spontaneously you begin to open up and share. True or false? That is what happened when Enoch walked with God. Amen. Amen. Enoch had such a relationship of walking with God. And I like the British pastor and theologian G. Campbell Morgan. He said these words. Walking with God is to walk in the same direction as God. Think about that. You cannot walk with someone and walk in the opposite direction. True? You cannot. If you want to walk with someone, you have to walk in the same direction. The things that matter to that person will begin to matter to you. That's why that prayer by Bob Pierce, he said this lines to God. Let the things that break the heart of God break mine. Powerful prayer. Let the things that break the heart of God break mine. When you start walking with God closely, consistently, the Bible says for 300 years, consistently, he walked with God. Sometimes our spiritual life is like going on a roller coaster. You know, we have highs and we have lows. We have times when we are extremely close to God. And then there are times when we are far away. You know, I have met people who struggle to keep a consistent walk with the Lord. I want to encourage us by looking at the life of Enoch. Here was a man, 300 years, not one or two, 300 long years, constantly, consistently, completely, he walked with God. Nothing else mattered. You know something? He was a family man. The Bible says, after he had Methuselah, he had other sons and daughters. He was a family man. Being a family man, he had responsibilities. If you have sons and daughters, you have to take care of them. You have to provide for them. There will be things to do. There will be needs to meet. He had responsibilities. But yet in the midst of that, he learned the secret of walking with God. Amen. You know, in Eastern spirituality, if you want to be spiritual, you have to cut away from your family. That's Eastern spirituality. You have to cut away. You cannot live a normal family life and be a spiritual person. If you look at, uh, even in the Hindu religion, they teach Vanaprastha. The last 25 years of your life, you are supposed to go to the forest. Vanaprastha. Go and then get to, you know, know God. Become spiritual towards the end of your life. Now, Gautama had to become, to, for him to become the Buddha, he had to leave Kapilavastu. He had to leave everything. Leave his wife, leave the kingdom, leave normal life in order to become the enlightened one. In the Jain religion, and you may be following in the news, diamond merchants in Surat and other places who are taking this uh, vow to become a monk. There is... Uh, 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 a tradition that they follow called the Parigraha in which they give up everything to become a monk. What's the point I'm trying to make? In the biblical view of spirituality you can have a normal life 
and yet be a spiritual person. I want you to contrast Eastern religions with the biblical view of spirituality. Enoch was a family man. He had sons and daughters. He had responsibilities in the world. But yet, that in no way interfered with his relationship with God. In fact, that made him a better follower of God. He had his responsibilities, he took care of his family, but he walked consistently with God for 300 years. Enoch was not conformed to this world. Enoch was not controlled by this world. Enoch was not condemned with this world. He lived in the world. He lived normally. But he lived above the world, connected with his God. And I'm convinced in our time today, it is possible to build such a relationship with the Lord where you will be able to say, I want to live a normal life. I want to interact with people. I want to have cordial relationships. I don't want to be so spiritual, so heavenly minded that I know of no earthly good. You know, I don't want to be an extreme person. I want to be balanced. I want to be able to meaningfully engage with people. But having done all of that, I also want to hold on to my relationship with the Lord. And I want it to be strong. And I want it to be deep. You know, one of the words that I teach in spiritual formation is this word. There is a lack of depth today in what we are doing. We know a lot of things and we know a lot of things superficially. True or false? We, we are becoming more and more the jack of all trades and master of none. We know little of everything and nothing deeply. Can we develop that heart's cry? God, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to understand how you are operating in the world. I want to be sensitive to your voice. And I want to go in the same direction as you are going. You know, one of the reasons the children of Israel kept rebelling against God in the wilderness, they did not know God. In Psalms 103, the psalmist says in verse 7, He made known His ways to Moses, His actions to the children of Israel. I want you to ponder on that for a few moments. Psalms 103 verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his action to the children of Israel. What was the prayer of Moses? Teach me your ways. Show me your face. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And the psalmist beautifully puts it. He made known his ways to Moses, his actions to the children of Israel. Israel only saw the hand of God. Israel only wanted the miracles of God. But Israel did not know the ways of God. Is that clear? So when crisis would come, little crisis, small things, food has run out, let's go back to Egypt. Let's stone Moses. No non-vegetarian, this veg food is getting, you know, under my skin, I need to get rid of this thing. I need some non-vegetarian. God says, fine, quails. Have quails. Uh, water, no water. Get rid of Moses. Let's get back to Egypt. Small things would provoke the Israelites. 
They knew the hand of God. They saw the actions of God. They saw the miracles of God. But for some mysterious reason, they did not press on in to know the ways of God. Moses was different. He knew the ways of God. No wonder he had such intimacy. And so from the time I began studying this and you know, reading this and pondering on this, I began praying, Lord, throughout my life, in the midst of all the ministry, all the activities, you know, ministry can become very uh, busy. You know, ask people in the ministry, it's sometimes you're always with people. You're always troubleshooting different things, dealing with situations, mentoring people, helping people, and you're you know, preparing sermons and studying scripture and then teaching your classes. There can be so many things to do. Your time can just fly. But in the midst of that, and I'm sure there are professionals here, you lead busy lives. I'm not saying only the, the, the ministers are busy. You are lead, leading very, very busy lives. Some of you commute many hours getting to work. I want to say this. It is possible to know God closely. Show me your face. Teach me your ways. Can you pray that today at the end of the service? And then can you start praying that through the week? Lord, I want to know you in a deeper way. I want to know you experientially. I've heard of testimonies of others, but that is not good enough. I want to see, I want to hear, I want to experience. I'm not satisfied with somebody's story. I want it to happen in my life. You know, have you heard that song, It Is No Secret? Pat Boone would sing it. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he can do for you. And every time I listen to a story, a story of faith, a story of trusting God, a story of seeing God at work, I begin to pray and say, Lord, if you did it for that person, I know you can do it for me. I'm your child. I serve you. I'm following in your ways. I want to know you experientially. Amen. There is a great difference when we know God experientially. What our generation desperately needs, what Bangalore City desperately needs what the IT industry desperately needs are a group of people who can say I've experienced God amen I've experienced God and to say that with conviction to say that genuinely to say that by reflecting on what God has done in our lives amen here was a man who was familiar with God number two the second principle that I want to draw from the life of Enoch is found in Hebrews 11 and verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. You know, Certification is very, very important in all that we do. True or false? There is today a lot of emphasis on quality control. And there's branding, ISI branding, and ISO branding, and different things. Okay, this meets this standard. And we live in a world where certification is becoming increasingly more important. Even theological education today. 
uh, where it is accredited from is very important. And so, like we believe in certification. There's a lot of certification that can happen with human beings, but I'm convinced that the final certification that we should get is from God. The final approval, the final, you know, where God says, I am pleased. That is what matters. Looking at the life of Enoch, the Bible says after 300 years, God, I, I'm just imagining this, you know, they walked together, they talked so much and at some point God said to Enoch, you know what, I think it's time you come away with me. You have so much to say to me, you know, I, I think your family is fine, don't worry, them. I'll take care of them, you come away with me. This man did not taste death. The Bible says he was translated. God just took him away. You know, the word translated is, of course, we use it in language, but it's also used in music to go from a lower key to a higher key, to be translated, transposed. And that's the picture. He was translated from this earthly frame into eternity, where he met God face to face. And that is what God did. And before he was taken away, he received this certificate. I am pleased with this man. I am well pleased. Who gave the certificate? God himself. And that's important. You know, all the trophies and certificates that we get in this world are valuable. But someday it will be trashed. Have you thought about that? Three generations from now, no one's going to keep your certificates for you. They're going to get rid of it. All your trophies, all your citations, your medals, your you know, whatever you get, uh, the best employee award, or whatever you get, someday, you know, you may preserve it and keep it. I remember your pastor receiving the president's award. I, you, I'm sure you've kept it safely. Yes, uh, I remember we were studying, and you, he received a president's award, and that's important. That's recognition of your capability, recognition of the fact that uh, you have excelled in what you have done. Are you with me? That's important. But I'm talking of a bigger certification. Where God himself begins to say, you know what? I'm pleased with this man. The Lord Jesus, twice in his earthly life, heard the words. I am pleased. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Exact same words were used for Enoch. I am pleased with this man. His life was consistent with what he believed about God. There was no dissonance in what he was saying and what he was doing. And sometimes we have sacred lives on Sundays. And then someone jokingly said, we have secret lives on Mondays to Saturdays. Sacred lives on Sundays. I'm convinced that our sacred life should affect every sphere of our life. I'm convinced. I'm convinced for spirituality to be real, it must pervade the workplace. I'm of the opinion, as a follower of Jesus, we must be excellent at what we do. Not mediocre, but excellent. When we put our hands into something, we must be the ones who are doing it with heart and soul. Because the Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat, you drink, or whatever you do, 
after the rest please do all for the glory of god so in other words it's not about tcs it's not about infosys it's not about the company i work for those are my earthly bosses doesn't matter ultimately i am doing this for for god for the glory of god and so i am convinced that in our vocational life in our workspace we must be excellent we must be striving for excellence and our walk must match our talk walk the talk you heard that expression walk the talk in the workplace our testimony is so crucial i remember a, a lady who met me and she was not a believer and she said i have this person at work you know he's also a christian and he also writes a lot of verses you know wherever there's biblical verses but this guy uses a lot of foul language and i was so ashamed to hear that i was so ashamed like you know what's the point in using verses at your workspace if you can't walk the talk i'm afraid when i see bumper stickers and you know someone you know criss crosses them and then they put down their windows and give a mouthful and then you're looking at the bumper sticker at the back all biblical verses are there wise men still see jesus i'm you know i follow the jewish carpenter and all kinds of things put it there but it's not matching with what you are saying and what you are doing it's not somehow matching not so with enoch with enoch it was consistent the walk and talk matched so much so that god said i'm pleased you know god is not impressed by our vocabulary in prayer amen we can use bombastic vocabulary we can you know use the queen's english uh, speak with a flawless accent be impeccable in the way we communicate and god is not impressed why he sees much deeper within he's looking into our hearts and that is what actually matters and if you look at the life of this man enoch god was pleased i've used this expression before i don't know whether i've used it here live for the audience of one live for the audience of one and the one is with a capital o what do i mean by live for the audience of one live ultimately with this realization i'm doing this for god if so nobody can use you nobody can abuse you nobody can throw you away some people will say don't join that organization they will use you and throw you and i, I reply to nobody can use you nobody can throw you because you're living for the audience of of one with a capital o i'm inspired by the life of a man called brother lawrence if you have time google it and read about this man uh practicing the presence of god it's a book that has impacted his life has impacted many many servants of god a w tozer uh, was impacted by brother lawrence uh john wesley founder of the methodist church was impacted deeply by brother lawrence who was brother lawrence brother lawrence was a cook in a monastery in the 17th century in france he was not very educated he went to battle and he got injured in the battle and uh, because he was not educated he decided like i joined a monastery and throughout his life he cooked 
And towards the end of his life, he became a, a, a person who repaired sandals at the monastery. But this man was unique because he had such an understanding of the presence of God. If you read through the book, you will realize that there were times when he would put, you know, he would be baking bread. And as he was doing that, while he was waiting for the bread to be baked, he would be prostrate on the kitchen floor and talk to God. He found ways to talk to God several times in his daily routine. I'm convinced that in the midst of everyday life, we can begin to talk to God several times a day. In fact, more the traffic, the better. You're stuck in that vehicle with nothing else to do. I'm not asking you to close your eyes and pray, but talk to God. Talk to God. Use every opportunity. Sometimes you may do it verbally, vocally. Other times it may be a cry from the heart. There are times when I've been praying, when nobody knows I'm praying. I'm seated next to a person and I'm saying, Lord, give me an opportunity. I want to talk to this person. It's inside. The prayer is inside. You can pray in your workspace as you go about from one department to the other, from one table to the other, as you're waiting to meet somebody, as you are, you know, have you read that verse in the Bible, uh, pray without ceasing? Have you read that verse? It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5 where it says, in every uh, Rejoice forevermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now is it practical to pray without ceasing? Is it doable? Yes, no. Is it doable? Yes, I believe it is. The only way you can pray without ceasing is to get into the habit of constant conversation. Short prayers, breath prayers, short prayers. When you are talking constantly with God, you won't have to begin with every time, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. There is no amen to this prayer. It goes on through the day. It goes when you are going from one place to the other, when you are caught in traffic, when you are uh, talking to a colleague and there is, you know, there is tremendous confusion in the workspace or there is conflict and deep in your heart you are crying out to God, God, give me wisdom, help me to use my words carefully, help me to say the right thing. The Bible says the word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Learning to say the right thing is so important, true or false, because words can be so powerful, it can build, it can destroy, it can promote you, it can demote you. Yes? And then to ask God, give me wisdom. Help me to say the right things. Help me to do the right things. And that prayer can be going on inside, deep inside your heart, talking to God, communing with God. Is it possible? I, I believe, yes, it is possible. We don't need to be a monk to do that. We don't have to join a monastery to do that. Going through, Enoch was a man who lived a normal life. He was no monk. He was a normal man. But he walked the talk. He was able to please God the way he lived. Amen. Amen. Here was a man who was familiar with God. 
He was a man who was favored by God. This year, we are still in February, so we are still in the early part of the year. If there's one thing you must pray for, grant me favor in your eyes and in the eyes of people. Grant me favor. Because if the favor of God is upon your life, you will always see fruit in what you do. Amen. Have you studied the Aaronic blessing? It, it used to be the benediction. Of course, today we use the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. That's our benediction most often today. But the Aaronic blessing was the benediction of the Old Testament. And this is what it would say. The Lord bless thee. The Lord keep thee. The Lord cause his face to shine upon thee. The Lord be gracious to thee and grant thee peace. That was the Aaronic blessing. And I was studying this passage and I found something powerful. You know the word bless, the word bless is the word need in the Hebrew language. The Lord bless thee. You know when a tall father wants to stoop down to talk to his little child, what does he do? What does he do? He kneels. He condescends. He comes down to the level of the child. That is what it said in that passage. The Lord bless thee. Not we kneeling before God. God kneeling before us. Think about that. Why do we kneel before us? Not because he's in awe of us. But because he loves us so much. He reaches down. He condescends. He comes down to our level to talk to us. The Lord causes face to shine upon you. This year, I pray in all that you put your hand to, may God cause his face to shine upon you. May you have the favor of God. And do you know something? The favor of God, when someone receives it, people look around and say, it's not fair. This guy joined the organization three years ago and now he's sitting 10 steps above me. How in the world did he get there? That's nothing but the favor of God. Have you received it? Anybody here in this room? Have you received the favor of God? Yes, yes. Acknowledge it. Say, yes, this is because of you, God. I have received the favor of God. And I'm so thankful. Not because of who I am, but because of who God is. God has been gracious. God has caused His face to shine upon us. Amen. Amen. A man who was familiar with God. A man who was favored by God. Number three. Let's turn to the book of Jude. Verse 14 and verse 15. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defined words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch had a glimpse of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says the seventh from Adam, he had a glimpse, not the first coming of the Lord Jesus, but the second coming. Years before, hundreds of years before, he looked ahead and God showed him 
the second coming, the parousia, the coming of the Lord Jesus. He saw it. And he, in turn, was a prophetic voice in his generation. Now, let me explain what I mean by a prophetic voice. There is a misunderstanding about prophecy today. Some people think of prophecy as foretelling the future. I'm not saying that that is not possible. The same Holy Spirit can reveal things about the future to you. Uh, in the New Testament, prophecy is confirmative, not directive. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the New Testament, prophecy is confirmative. So let's say if somebody comes and says, the Lord is telling me to tell you, go to Cambodia. I don't believe I should straight away go and buy the tickets and try to get the visa. If the Lord has spoken through that person, I must confirm whether this is from God or this is the voice of man. Are you with me? And if it is a voice from God, then the Lord has a unique way of speaking to us. That day, some other context, he will speak to you and say Cambodia again and then Cambodia again and a third and a fourth and a fifth and after some time you start noticing it and you say, hey, this is strange, there are more than 220 countries in the world. Why in the world is Cambodia coming up again and again? And that catches your attention. In the New Testament, prophecy is confirmative, not directive. In the Old Testament, the canon scripture was not there. And so the prophet would say, thus says the Lord, go to battle, they would go to battle. Thus says the Lord, don't go to battle, they would not go to battle. It was directed in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's confirmative. Uh, we still seek the Lord and find out. And I am convinced that the Holy Spirit speaks through somebody to you. He can speak to you too. Because you are a child of God and you have the same Holy Spirit. And He can confirm it to you. Are you with me? And so many times we go on the slant when it comes to prophecy. Uh, some people go to the prophets and say, hey, prophesy over me. That's not how it works. If the Lord does speak to somebody, they will come and tell you. If they are sensitive to the voice of God. Are you with me? But there is a dimension of prophecy that we forget. Prophecy is not only really foretelling, F-O-R-E, telling. It is also forth-telling. What is forth-telling? Forth-telling is declaring the words of the Lord. Are you with me? Forth-telling, telling forth, declaring the words of the Lord. That is an important part of prophecy. Forth-telling. Thus says the Lord. Why do you say this is right or wrong? Because thus says the Lord. Why do you say abortion is wrong? Because thus says the Lord. Why do you believe that homosexuality is not acceptable? Because thus says the the Lord, the Word. That is an important dimension of fourth telling. If you look at the account in Jude, the Bible says that here was a faithful messenger. Several times in that passage, the word ungodly. He says ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. He's able to say that fearlessly, boldly, with conviction. It takes courage to take a stand. True or false? It is easy 
to sit on a fence. It takes courage to take a stand, to go against the flow, to be able to say this is wrong or this is right. We are living in a generation where people don't want to hear this is wrong and this is right. We are moving more into that, that postmodern era where people are saying what is wrong for you may be right for me, what is wrong for me may be right for you. It all depends. Have you heard that argument? It all depends. Everything is all depends. And that's called ethical relativism. There's, there's no absolute. They won't say this is right, this is wrong. Schools are today not saying it. Colleges are no longer saying it. Educational institutions are afraid to say it. People in the teaching fraternity are afraid to say this is what is correct. They are afraid to say it. They are afraid because they will be sued. But living in such a confused world, there must be prophetic voices in every sphere of influence. In media, there must be prophetic voices. In, in arts and entertainment, there must be prophetic voices. In the business world, there must be prophetic voices. In the legal system, there must be prophetic voices. In every sphere of influence in the world, in education, there must be prophetic voices. Who is the prophetic voice? The one who fearlessly says, thus says the Lord. Amen? Amen? Do you want to be a prophetic voice? I want to be a prophetic voice in my times. That does not mean that I will foretell the future of seven people. It's happened in the past when the Lord has shown certain things and I walked up to an individual. Not for public display, not to bring them to the front and call out, you know, don't, don't make it, it's not about you. The Lord may reveal something to you. Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord will not do anything without revealing things to his own servants, the prophets. God can show you things about the future. And it is not for self-publicity or for fame or name. But majority of the time, we must move the part of foretelling. Thus says the Lord. Enoch was one such person. He spoke the word of the Lord fearlessly. He spoke the word of the Lord fearlessly. Is this the Lord? It's God. Here's something for us to think about and pray. As I studied the life of Enoch, by the way, the word Enoch means dedicated. The word Enoch simply means dedicated. He lived true to his name. Here was a man who was dedicated to God and lived true to the name that he had received. As we respond to God's word today, I want to spend a few moments to lead us in a prayer of response. Here are a few things that you can pray about. And I don't want to tell you what to pray. Uh, I know I'm in the midst of a community of believers who know how to pray. But I want to say these few things to pray about. Number one, would you pray that prayer? Show me your face. Teach me your ways. Show me your glory, God. I want to know you in a very intimate way. Help me. I want to grow in my understanding. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more you begin to know God, the more you're excited to serve God. I'm excited to serve God. For me, serving God is not cumbersome. It's not something that's difficult. I'm excited to serve God. The longer you know Him, the more deeper that you know Him. And so would you pray that and say, Lord, I want this to happen to me.
I want to be familiar with you. Not in a careless way, in a casual way, but to know you closely. Number two, would you pray and ask the Lord that from this church there will be men and women, and you know, you are strategically placed. I mentioned this before, uh, I think a year ago uh, at your anniversary, I mentioned this. You are strategically placed in the Whitefield area, which is one of the IT hubs of the, of the city, strategically placed. Would you say, Lord, in my workspace, I want to walk the talk? And that is so difficult. Because these people see you every single day. People in church see you once a week or twice a week. But the people at your workspace, your neighborhood, they see you every single day. And you will get that certificate from the Lord. I am pleased. This person, I am very pleased with this person. That our walk and our talk will match. And number three, would you pray and say, Lord, I want to be a prophetic voice in my generation. Enoch was a prophetic voice in his generation. He was able to call the ungodly ungodly. He was able to say, thus says the Lord. Can we do that? Now I'm not saying, you know, do it in a blatant way. You can do it in a very, very gentle way. I don't believe we have to point a finger and say, say to somebody, thus says the Lord. But we can take a word to them and say, you know, by the way, I felt led to say this to you. And it can be a word from the Lord. Can we stand for a few moments? I know the bar is not there. It doesn't matter. But can you spend a few moments? Every time we listen to the word, it is important that we make a faith response on a Sunday morning we come to listen to the word. After listening to the word, it is important to make a faith response. What's a faith response? Yes, Lord, I've heard your word. It's not about a preacher. Preacher will come and go. Pastors will come and go. But end of the day, it's about the word that God has brought to you today, for this time, for this week. And if you will pray a simple prayer in your own words, I don't want to tell you what to pray. Would you pray that? Would you take a moment and just silently or vocally, verbally, whatever way you're comfortable. Show me your face. Teach me your ways. Help me to walk in such a way that I hear the words from you. I am pleased, well pleased. Lord, I want to be a prophetic voice in my generation. And these are beautiful prayers to pray. I want to become a spokesperson for you. I want to speak the words of the Lord, which can impart life to people. Hallelujah.